conversion in Christian history, there's another kind of conversion. And that is the kind of conversion that freely chosen brings joy and new life. Because as Christians, we're called to a life of ongoing conversion. If we're willing to give ourselves over to it, over the course of our lives, we are converted. We're molded into people who more closely resemble Jesus. Real conversion isn't a one-time thing and takes a lifetime. The priest and theologian Temple Gray says that the goal of Christian life is to have a molten soul. He says that the life of faith has big moments where we are melted, we're made liquid, made malleable by the breath of God. Something happens, maybe it's an intense spiritual experience, maybe it's a time of great suffering. We become molten, we become open to being shaped by God into something new. But the danger is that after these moments end, we become solid again. We become rigid and fixed. The trick, Gray says, is to stay molten, to stay pliable and malleable so that the conversion doesn't end and God can keep molding us into who we're called to be. We don't convert and then freeze. We stay molten, giving ourselves over to a lifetime of conversion. Today I'd like to tell three stories of conversion, three stories about how God melted someone's soul and molded it into something new. And as I tell these stories, I invite you to think about two things. First, which story most resembles how God has acted in your life? And second, how is each person a part of a community of conversion? How did other people help this person to become open to being molded and changed? So here we go. St. Augustine's conversion story is well known because he tells the story of his conversion himself. He's the author of what's considered the first autobiography written in the West. As a side note, the first autobiography written in English was written by a woman, Julian of Norwich, a a mystic in the 14th century. But anyway, Augustine was born in the 4th century in Roman Africa. He grew up a pagan. He became a teacher of philosophy and rhetoric with great political promise. His mother was a faithful Christian who prayed daily for his conversion, but she battled with her own temptation to use him to advance the family's power and wealth. Augustine writes about years of hedonistic living and half-hearted religious seeking. He writes honestly about a series of women that he used and discarded about his desire for power and prestige, and under it all, the pull of Christianity, this attraction to another way of life. He writes about the pain of giving up his political ambitions, his resistance to the pull of faith, his worry that his colleagues and his friends will no longer respect him, the pain of giving up the woman he lives with. And then one day he just gives in. He turns he would say that he was converted. In the end, he said that his heart was restless until he found rest in God. Another famous story of conversion, perhaps a stranger one, 
is that of John Newton, the English priest who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that most of us have heard. Newton was raised in a seafaring family in the 18th century. He went to sea at the age of 11. And after a series of adventures, he was marooned in West Africa and sold as a slave into an African royal family. He was eventually rescued, but on the way back to England, his ship was caught in a storm and about to sink. He called out to God for help as the water poured in, and the ship was saved. And so Newton decided to become a Christian. But after this, he served six more years as the captain of a slave ship, bringing slaves over from West Africa to the Indies in the, in, as a part of the infamous Middle Passage. Newton describes how he resisted facing the truth of what he was doing, even though he'd been on the other side of it himself. He talks about how God very gradually worked over years to make him into one of England's most forceful and effective abolitionists. Newton said that he once thought his conversion happened when he accepted Christ. But he later discovered that his real conversion happened much more slowly and painfully over years of outwardly quiet parish and family life when God was slowly working on his soul. It was only with hindsight that Newton could say, as he did in his famous hymn, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Perhaps the most famous conversion story in Christianity is found in our text from Galatians today. In this text and in his other letters, St. Paul describes his upbringing as a Jew, his education at the feet of the greatest rabbi of his day. He brags about being a leader among the Pharisees, famous for his learning and his zeal. Acts, tell us, Acts tells us that Paul was so serious about Judaism that he went to the leaders of his synagogue and asked them for permission to go and seek out Christians to try to weed them out from among faithful Jewish communities. We can only imagine that they were delightful to get rid of him, delighted to get rid of him. But God had other plans. While on the road to Damascus, Paul met the risen Christ in a flash of light. He says that he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him directly, and then he went away from the encounter blinded. And so unable to see and defenseless, Paul was led to the home of a Christian leader in Damascus who had no good reason to let him into the house. After all, this was a famous persecutor of Christianity. But the leader welcomed him in, cared for him until he, he could see again and taught him about the faith that Paul had just learned. And from this moment onward, no amount of persecution ever deterred Paul from faith. He was converted. But if you read Paul's letters, you see him being molded by intense relationships with the church where, churches where he served. He works to frame the gospel in just the right way so that they can hear it. He worries about them. He goes from this sort of overconfident zeal to confessing that he has a thorn in his side, a mysterious, embarrassing weakness that keeps him dependent on God. He even starts, by the very end, apologizing to people for things he's done wrong. For Paul, the conversion to faith was early, but the conversion to love and to humility was slow and happened through painful interactions with others. 
we tend to tell stories of conversions that happen in a flash of light. And I always thought that that sounded really fun. If you were, you know, on the wrong path and all of a sudden God appeared and made everything perfectly clear. But that's not how it happens for most of us. Most of us are like Augustine, and we always struggle with the competing pulls of faith and life in the world. And we're like John Newton, and it takes us years to come to terms with what we believe and to figure out how it applies to our lives. And we're like Paul, finding that our faith is changed by the people we meet. But no matter what our journey looks like, all of us are called to live lives of conversion. We're called to be a community of people who are trying to convert one another. And I don't mean that we're trying to make other people accept our kind of faith. That would be staying frozen and rigid. No, rather, we're called to be people who are encouraging one another to have molten souls, to be people who are pushing one another to stay pliable, to always be open to the next phase of conversion, the next phase of transformation. The challenge is to become not converts ourselves, but communities of conversion, a community of people seeking God, a community of molten souls. Amen.